0: For the Climate Discussion Nexus, I'm John Robson, here with our latest readout video from our free weekly Wednesday wake-up newsletter and the latest ghoulish swooping on a disaster by climate alarmists. It's the lethal floods in Libya, and it certainly is heartrending. But here's the thing, it wasn't climate the alarmists clearly didn't predict it ahead of time which is something science normally tries to do but then they exhibited this man with a hammer quality because when aging dams in a nation racked by over a decade of war banditry and unrest gave way they said it's man-made climate change and actually it is a man-made disaster and we know the names of the men Because the calamity struck in a city built by Mussolini a century ago beneath a dam built by Gaddafi 50 years ago that last had a maintenance test more than 20 years ago. And it's worth noting that the same storm hit Europe and did only minor damage, and killed very few people elsewhere in Libya. But still, when it comes to climate science, pouncing on a tragedy after the fact is apparently fine and decent. Now, we do want to credit the Times of London for saying, quote, the high death toll in Derna is down to a lack of attention to these dams, which were last given a maintenance check in 2002, so people are going to start demanding to know who is in charge here, Mohamed El-Jar, a managing partner at Libya Desk Consulting, said, end quote. Moreover, the Times said, quote, in a report released last year by Libya's Sebha University, experts claimed the 1970s built dams had high potential for flood risk and that periodic maintenance was essential, end quote. So in that sense, the catastrophic flood was predicted, but not by the usual suspects, for the usual reasons. Of course, even the Times hedged its woke bets by saying, quote, the intensity of the storm that swept through Libya has been blamed on climate change, but the claims about the dams suggest human error played a role in the death toll, end quote. Yeah, played a role, you could say that, especially since another expert they interviewed said that if the authorities had simply opened the dams a bit before the storm hit, they might well have held. Still, others don't say it. Instead, the New York Times The Morning found, quote, an expert on Libyan climate change, end quote, to say, quote, this is going to happen more and more as the climate warms. Everything is falling apart, end quote. So now climate change causes Muammar Gaddafi to build rickety dams and then civil wars to come along to prevent them from being maintained? Wow, there really is nothing it cannot do. Except possibly take a look to see whether there's been a trend toward more flooding in Libya over the last couple of decades. Because if there hasn't, in particular, to swoop on one disaster seems ghoulish. And here come the vultures. Gadfly Senator Bernie Sanders screeched, quote, Flooding in Libya has killed more than 5,300 people and left more than 30,000 homeless. Let's be clear, we know climate change is making these kinds of disasters worse and more frequent. The international community must come together now to address this existential threat, end quote. And Time Magazine Cod, quote, The Mediterranean storm that dumped torrential rain on the Libyan coast, setting off flooding that's believed to have killed thousands of people, is the latest extreme weather event to carry some of the hallmarks of climate change, scientists say, end quote. And so on and so on, though. As we noted, the same storm hit in Europe and caused under 20 deaths. In the newsletter, we also note that as the trendy, chic, Star Trek Toronto International Film Festival staggers toward obscurity and possibly oblivion, they sent up a virtue signal instead of a more appropriate distress flare. As in, quote, a group of Canadian filmmakers have joined forces with Hollywood A-listers in asking the Toronto International Film Festival to end sponsorship ties with the Royal Bank of Canada because of the financial institution's funding of the oil and gas industry." Quote. Well, so much for RBC's effort to make friends of its enemies by making enemies of its friends. But as for these filmmakers and A-listers, we say, very dangerous, you go first. As in, make a movie without fossil fuels. No gas or diesel cars, limousines, or trucks, no flights, no synthetic fibers or electronics on people or on sets. Also, no servers processing digital images using electricity from oil, gas, or coal, and no audiences using these things to get to the theaters where the films are shown. And no fossil fuel used by the theaters either to show the movies, cool the audience, or heat the popcorn. You haven't seen that film, have you? And you won't because it couldn't be made. And if it could be made, it couldn't be shown. As a matter of fact, you couldn't even feed the crew. So fine, if you A-listers and filmmakers don't like oil and gas, don't use it. Nice knowing you. And now I'm going to interrupt myself briefly to ask you please to help support our work. Because here at the Climate Discussion Nexus, we don't get lavish government grants. We don't get big foundation money. And contrary to what our critics say, we're not in the pocket of the Koch brothers. We're dependent on our viewers and our readers to make a pledge, one time or monthly, big or small, just click here, a cup of coffee a month. That's what it takes to help us keep producing these videos and our newsletter and pushing back against the climate alarmist steamroller. And now, back to me. We also note that Canada's Governor-General, Mary Simon, commuted by jet airplane between Nova Scotia and Ottawa during the pandemic while spewing rhetoric about it being quote up to us to act responsibly and sustainably end quote to fight climate change. And also that the Guardian now tells us Antarctica is finally melting this time for sure. Plus this just in from the New York Times on the Chinese Communist Party that John Kerry and others believe is a true believer on climate change. when wildfires swept across Maui last month with destructive fury, China's increasingly resourceful information warriors pounced. The disaster was not natural, they said in a flurry of false posts that spread across the internet, but was the result of a secret weather weapon being tested by the United States, end quote. That's the latest from our buddies in Beijing. We also note with a snide, told you so, that Canada's parliamentary budget officer says that the vast subsidies hurled at EV battery makers by Canadian politicians who think that they know all about business, technology, and the weather will actually take 20 years to repay, not the very optimistic five years we were promised by the usual subsidy hucksters. And what's extraordinary is that when he released this finding, the politicians involved promptly claimed vindication instead of admitting error and apologizing. In the newsletter, we also answered some of the periodic notes we get to the effect that, for instance, quote, greenhouse warming theory has never been verified by experiment, end quote. And first we make a small point. Look, some key aspects of it actually have. For instance, that CO2 absorbs and then scatters infrared radiation at certain frequencies, and that water vapor does the same. But then we agree, about a point so big it's hard for either alarmists or skeptics to focus on it which is that overall global warming theory relies on assembling a bunch of individually sound, or at least plausible, pieces of science and logic into a vast speculative theoretical construct that not only hasn't been tested in a laboratory, it couldn't be, because you'd need a lab as big and complicated as the Earth with all of the processes that operate there. As a matter of fact, you'd need the Earth, So it's true that it is no good for alarmists to say that what's happening now around us is explained by a theory that was proved somewhere else on a small scale. Actually, what's happening now around us is the test, the only one that in principle really could be performed, and its results are necessarily hugely ambiguous. At this point, some people will object, no they're not, the huge increases in extreme weather that we've had recently prove that we've busted the planet. But actually, not even the IPCC thinks there have been increases in extreme weather, let alone huge ones. That's just chatter from uninformed activists. Besides, even if the weather had gotten measurably worse recently, it still wouldn't prove that it was because the planet had warmed, let alone that we had warmed it. Again, uninformed activists tend to say climate was stable until we ruined everything. But as a matter of fact, we have good records that show us that weather fluctuates naturally, and it always has. So it's certainly within the realm of possibility that weather could get worse in our day and not be our fault, or, as a matter of fact, it could get better and we wouldn't deserve the credit. It's really hard to tell what's driving what in a system as complicated as the Earth. For instance... As noted, you can test in a lab that CO2 absorbs infrared radiation and scatters it, and also that water vapor does. But you can't test a critical part of the whole alarmist claim about man-made global warming, which is that there will be small temperature increases due to rising CO2 in the atmosphere that will then increase the water vapor content of the atmosphere in ways that amplify the effect and cause large increases in temperature. It could happen, it's not outside the realm of possibility, but equally, it might well not. And there's no way to tell, because you can't actually test that in a lab. And, what's more, one thing that has been experimentally verified is the branch of mathematics called chaos theory, which says that even fairly simple-looking systems with feedback mechanisms can quickly develop such intricate behavior that it literally cannot be modeled. You cannot use linear algebra to approximate it, it's transcomputable. Now, of course, in a scientifically perfect world, we might have hundreds of Earths that we could expose to subtly different inputs of CO2, methane, or whatever you wanted to test, and then see if a pattern emerged. But we don't. We don't have hundreds of Earths, and we can't fine-tune the atmosphere. Which is why, at CDN, we lean on historical evidence, because it's the closest thing that we do have to a controlled experiment. We don't have multiple Earths, but we do have one Earth going through multiple scenarios. And when you test the theory that CO2 drives temperature by looking at what we think we know about virtually any period in the history of our planet, it doesn't check out. I mean, it did, it's true, from about 1980 to 2000, which may cause nostalgia in people who were younger then than they are now. But it doesn't on virtually any other historical timescale. And nostalgia is not historical evidence. Nor is it scientific evidence, when alarmists play fast and loose with it when exactly these serious negative effects of man-made climate change supposedly did hit, are hitting, will hit, or will hit even harder. For instance, CTV sees that, quote, Earth has sweltered through its hottest northern hemisphere summer ever measured, with a record warm August capping a season of brutal and deadly temperatures according to the World Meteorological Organization, end quote. And then, after calling one point five degrees Celsius warmer than pre industrial times, quote, the threshold that the world is trying not to pass, end quote, as if the planet had goals were on some kind of fitness regime, the piece quotes that famous non climate scientist UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres that quote, climate breakdown has begun, end quote. And you'd say, okay, that's fairly firm, but then when does the supposed consensus he's drawing on say that the effects of climate change became discernible as opposed to just background noise and variable weather? Was it in 1980? Was it in 2000? Was it in 2020? And then when did scientists say that this warming had turned into breakdown? Especially since those funny duddies at the IPCC are still mostly saying that they think there might be trouble some decades hence, not that we're already in the process of dying. And the answer, if you listen to the alarmists, is that we just don't know, because they don't seem to have an answer, just a lot of finger-pointing and yelling to suit current polemical needs. For instance, Map insists that, quote, You've read it before. Insurance companies who wrote homeowners policy are fleeing Florida. Or a big insurance company stopped writing new policies in California. That extreme weather, whether it be wind and storm or smoke and fire, is playing havoc on the insurance market is an old story, end quote. Okay, we'll bite. How old is this story? When did man-made climate change start affecting insurance markets? And if it's been affecting them so long that it's an old story, how can it be about to start doing it again? Now, in terms of having your lava cake and eating it too on this point, it's hard to beat. quote, the weather is about to get even weirder. End quote from the Atlantic's Weekly Planet. See, not weirder, even weirder. So it is already here and is about to arrive or whatever. Now, on the subject of what the weather is really doing, and in our ongoing honoring of a scientific paper that was retracted by a journal not because it was wrong but because the gatekeepers didn't want you to know it was right, we're going to repeat what its authors said about droughts. And of course drought imagery is reliably horrifying, so the media love a picture of a dried up lake bed or a failed wheat crop or the parched bones of some unfortunate water buffalo when trying to scare you about climate, but Contrary to the impression they seem determined to give, droughts are not a new thing, nor are they getting worse. And speaking of whether things are getting worse, in our other series that we're currently undertaking, our review of Bjorn Lomborg's massive analysis of 21st century climate policy, we come to his assessment of the costs and benefits of the Paris Accord in particular. Or rather, his review of other people's assessments, namely those from the IPCC, government agencies, and mainstream economists. And once again, we have to note that the IPCC is not saying what activists screaming as they glue themselves to stuff or throw food at it, claim that it's saying. And boiling it down, Lomberg shows that according to reputable alarmists, Paris will cost a lot and accomplish little. At best, every dollar spent meeting our Paris Accord targets will deliver less than 10 cents in benefits. And that's the best case scenario. How often does government policy manage the best case scenario? Finally, we swim in the CO2Science.org archive to look at the effect of ocean acidification on coral calcification and find that, astonishing but true, like most living creatures, corals are adaptive in the face of changes in their situation. For the Climate Discussion Nexus, I'm John Robson, and I don't believe that bad infrastructure or civil war are caused by climate change.